Are you prepared? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing better than two of us, then. <laughs> Welcome back to Manga in Your Ears. I'm Corey. The song you heard is from the Emma anime, and uh, Ellen and April are with me right now. Hiya. Hi, everybody. We are here to talk about uh, Emma by Kaoramori and Horibia by uh, whoever the heck that is. I don't have the book in front of me. I can't see on my shelf. Uh, I know that it's based off of a webcomic, but it has a different artist, the Horimiya version that's being put out by Yen Press. Well, Google certainly knows. Let's find out. <laughs> See, it is written by Hiro and illustrated by Daisuke Hagiwara. There we go. Ooh, there's an OVA. Are you out? What? Well, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about Emma first. And April, would you like to break down what Emma is all about? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a. Uh, the premise is pretty basic, I think. Um, Emma is a historical romance series by Karu Mori. Um, it originally uh, was put out in about, if I remember correctly, um, 10 volumes by CMX a few years ago. But, of course, um, now CMX is gone. Um, and then Yen Press uh, picked up the series a few years ago in a hardcover uh, omnibus format. Um, so, basically, Emma is a maid who falls in love um, with a with a man named William from a sort of a different social class. Um, so the story sort of centers around uh, their romance, even though she's a maid and he's sort of higher up. Um, I think uh, Emma is pretty solidly sort of a slice of life series, but it, it sort of differs in the, the strong emphasis on the historical uh, aspect of it. So that makes it a little bit different um, and a little bit more memorable. Um, but Emma is actually one of my favorite series and a series that I think I've read at least a couple of times. Um, I know, uh, I think Helen has read it a while ago too, uh, but mm-hmm. I sort of wanted to uh, know what you thought, Corey, because I think that this is somehow your, your <laughs> first time uh, looking at the series, so I'm kind of curious as to what you think. Uh, yes, I have never read this before. I took a couple of photos of it for our manga panel. Um, but besides that, I never opened the book, and I bought three of them, and then that's how I live my life. Um, <laughs> but I really liked this this first book. I only had a chance to get through the first volume. Um, I think it's a cute little story about, you know, Emma and her discovering love and, like, being so earnest and genuine and everything she does, and uh, there's a lot of classism going on uh, in the mm-hmm. manga. At one point, the the boy's father says, like, we're, we are literally from different worlds, we are different people, even though they're both English people. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's set in Victorian England, and while basically every country in the world will have, you know, differences between the social economic classes... Victorian England was especially divided. They had 
like you guys might have even heard that what we think of today as the British accent even originated around that time for the upper class to distinguish themselves from the lower classes. Like they were incredibly hardcore and how strictly separated they would keep all these characters. And Emma is not quite below us. I think she does have a little bit of status since she is a well brought up lady's maid to a respected lady, but she and William definitely are from totally different social spheres. Yeah, Emma is brought up, uh, perhaps not to believe that she is equal, but to believe that she could be equal, because of she actually knows how to read and write, and there are specific moments in this manga where it's like, wow, a woman needs to read and write. That's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a really kind employer who taught her how to read and write, and um, even gave her glasses, which would have been really unusual back then. So Emma's been blessed in a few ways, although she's still living a very hard life, and it only gets harder beyond the first volume, Corey. Sorry to let you know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm not prepared. Uh, going back to language, though, they do have those moments where these uh, the more labor-intensive people will start speaking in a much more, I think it's Cockney-ish accent than um, the rest of the people who uh, there's no distinguishing like what they're saying between what any anyone else in another manga would say would be saying besides like expelled in British English, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't remember that feature from the CMX translations, but I haven't seen the end press translations, and I don't recall that coming up in the anime either, especially since the anime's never gotten an English dub. Although with how well Nozomi Entertainment's recent Kickstarter's done, maybe that will change in the future. Maybe this podcast will be outdated very soon. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think what's interesting about Emma is even though it's sort of billed as this romance series, I don't, like, there's a lot more going on in the series besides the romance. I think one of um, Maury's strengths is sort of her ability to focus on the side characters and those last few volumes. I think volumes, is it 8 through 10 maybe, focus, like, solely on side characters. So, wow, like, the romance is nice. I don't necessarily think it's super compelling. I think we kind of know where it's going to go. Um, I think the strength of the series is that uh, we get to see various different people of various social classes and how they sort of tie into each other and how they sort of affect each other's lives, even sort of peripherally. So I feel like that was one of the particular strengths of the series. But I didn't know what you all thought about the romance in general. Uh, it's pretty hard not to root for Emma and William to get together, <laughs> since they both seem so nicely suited to each other. They're both kind, thoughtful people, and William realizes, I feel like, fairly early on that he genuinely does not know a lot about the world and wants to learn more about the world. They are very two nice people, and we do see a lot of nice romances in this series. Like, I got the impression that Emma's employer was very happily married um, before she became a widow. Um I could kind of take or leave the the romance of the series. I think um, what's more going on is like Emma's interpersonal relationships between William and learning things from him and him learning things from her is much more important than whether they get together in the end, and especially her relationship with her employer in this first volume from the end, which is the first two volumes from CMX, um, is like much more of a, a driving force for Emma than most anything else by the end of it. Yeah, I definitely uh, think that that's the case. Um, I know that she focuses um, 
uh, some on the, uh, there are other maids that she focuses on. Um, her employer, I think, has other relationships in the community that she focuses on. So some of the characters that you don't necessarily expect um, get a bit of a backstory. And the few times that I've gone back to reread the series over the years, those latter volumes tend to be the ones that I enjoy the most, where they're just about sort of the side characters that were in um, Emma's life, um, but not actually the romance itself. Not that that's not fine, but it, the, the, the romance isn't necessarily something that we haven't seen before. So mm-hmm. it, it tends to be the side characters that stick out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, the real draw to the series wasn't the romance, but it was all the historical world building since Maury makes it very clear that she really likes drawing maids. Like, this was definitely a major draw for her in making the series. But she also does such thorough research. Like, at one point, some of the characters visit the World's Fair, um, which was held in London. Um, I forget the exact years, but in that same time period. And she just goes into such detail in the drawings and just what's going on around the characters. It's what I would look for in a good historical novel regardless of the medium. And so it's really nice to find a story that has such a well-researched foundation to set itself on. Yeah, she has those uh, comical uh, strips at the end of end of each of the volumes. So in the middle of the Unpressed volume and then at the end of the book, that's like, I bought a whole bunch of books on British stuff and then I realized I only have three books on Corsics and I don't know what the heck to do with all these <laughs> I think I remember those now, yeah. Yeah, she's like super, she's super into maids and other stuff. And it it, it, it really shows throughout the series that uh, with those little comics at the end, she really um, puts a lot of detail into that, which obviously for something historical is, is really important. And I think it, she also reminds me of, uh, we talked about Vinland Saga the last time we all got together and, both authors, I feel like, sort of have similar obsessiveness almost about historical mm-hmm. details. Yep. Um, and I think that's what allows the romance not to be the most compelling part is just because of the sheer uh, uh, amount of detail in terms of the historical aspect of it. So, Yeah, and it's really nice when, the, nice when a story is kind of multifaceted about, about it where you can recommend it for both the romance and, you know, the world building, when you can recommend it for all these different things, I feel like a story is usually stronger by being kind of diverse in what it's attempting to do. Yeah, they have uh, some Indian characters in here, too, with Williams, Frank, Hakeem. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. I seem to recall an elephant parading around. Mm, there's several elephants <laughs> parading around. It's real, okay, yeah. good. I was trying to remember if I was just thinking of Black Butler there. No, 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 no. no. There's, def- there's definitely elephants. <laughs> yeah. But even even that particular relationship between between William and his friend is sort of fleshed out and explored a little bit. It sort of seems like in terms of side characters, like no stone is sort of left uh, unturned as far as the series goes. I think in some of those side um, volumes that you mentioned, I think we even see how William's own parents came together, don't we? Yeah, I think so, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we see a couple of different even kinds of romances since those were two... um, upper echelon figures. I don't remember if they're actually part of the British nobility or if they're nobody rich, um, but we, we get a chance to see a lot of different romances, which is nice mm-hmm. since a lot of times romances only focus on the two main characters and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think William's family is new money British. I don't know if they're nobility, but like they've worked very hard 
to reach this stage in life, and they're working very hard to maintain the decorum that's expected of them now. And William's just, like, shattering all those expectations. Yeah, if they've worked really hard to be filthy rich, they probably were new rich. Yeah. Also, I don't recall any sprawling estates, which would be another good sign, as Downton Abbey has taught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the series is set slightly before Downton Abbey starts, or right around that time period, if people are curious. Because I remember at the end of the anime, you have this moment where you're looking at the ears and you're going, oh my god, World War One is about to start. These poor people, their lives are about to be completely upended. Sometimes I'm a realist when I watch anime, and I just had that thought. So. <laughs> it's a very sad thought. Yeah, and then, like like Helen mentioned, there's also um, an anime, too. But I've only seen maybe one or two episodes of that, and that was years ago. And as much as I like uh, Emma, the anime felt, like, particularly slow. But I, I, People could probably argue that the, the manga itself is slow, but something about it being animated it just felt very slow. So... <laughs> Yeah, there's different types of slowness between anime and manga. Mm. I think it helps because with manga, um, you can read a little faster if things are going more slowly, or you can stop and just stare at a beautifully illustrated spread. Mm. I feel like that makes manga not feel quite as slow as mm-hmm. anime, where unless you're watching on a video player, which gives you the option of multiple speeds, um, you're pretty much stuck at watching one speed. There are a couple moments where... Um there's just uh, a page or a page and a half of no dialogue, and it's just lingering on a shot or a scene. And I assume, since the anime feels slow, they probably also lingered on that shot or scene for a couple seconds in the in an anime, and you can't just like look past that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. From what I can remember, it's it's pretty faithful to the to the manga, if I remember correctly. Just in that one or two episodes, and he, it it can feel. Very slow. It's funny how sort of like the strength of Mori and the manga, sort of those lingering moments or sort of the uh, the moments where you can sort of see the relationship between two people without them saying anything. And then you put that in the anime and it's like, oh, this is really very slow. <laughs> so in the series itself, it's a strength and the anime may be a little bit less so. And I can't help but think that after having read Emma and then reading her current series, A Bride Story, that a bride story just indulges in those slow moments even more, just those scenes where look how lovingly rendered in detail everything is. I feel like Mori was just warming up with Emma for those scenes. Oh. I do too. Yeah, definitely. She does uh, comedically recognize how much work she just sometimes puts in for herself, and she's like, this would be really cool, and then she has to do it for several panels in a row, and she's like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> At least she's self-aware. <laughs> I feel like I see my webcomicer friends complaining about that on Twitter as well. It's it's the lament of artists everywhere. Draws one crowd scene. I will never draw crowd scenes again. <laughs> they they just stop having faces after that point in the crowd. Yeah. yeah. Although as a mangaka, she probably has assistants. She probably can actually hire assistants and has a pool of assistants to actually work with in Japan, mm-hmm. which I'm sure helps. And. Mm-hmm. A Bride Story, I believe, is a monthly series, and I suspect Emma was as well. I think the chapters felt long enough that they would have been a monthly series, not a weekly series. And, oh, we were even talking last time about how Vinland Saga switched from being a weekly series to a monthly right. series, mm-hmm. and how much that allowed um, his um, the manga cover Vinland Saga to just really dive into the art the way he wanted to. So Emma was published by Comic Beam, and they are a monthly publication. Mm-hmm. It's actually technically a seinen magazine, which seems weird.
it seems weird until you remember just how much Maury loves drawing voluptuous women. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Which, again, comes out more in a bride story, but she definitely likes her sexy women, too. And she draws them so well. Mm-hmm. They are the Indian women in, in these ones. They aren't wearing very much, uh, you know, compared to British standards. And You know, somehow I'd forgotten about the entire Indian subplot. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it happens kind of early on in the manga. So. It does. <laughs> Uh, so they do they not like not come up again at all? Uh, they pop up again briefly, but other characters um, take more of a center stage as um, the plot um, progresses and some other events happen. Oh, okay, because she has another joke in the back where her friends are always like, uh, "The Indian girls seem very important," and then they like they all feel like the Indian girls are important, and Maury's like, "Wait, no, they're not important. Stop saying this." <laughs> Uh, I think too uh, the the uh, re-release uh, from Yen the bigger the bigger trim size uh, sort of helps with that art and and uh, all of the detail that she put into it because those those CMX volumes were very very hard to find and it was mm-hmm. uh, a favorite series of mine and I searched for those CMX volumes for years any comic book store I could get to whether I was in town out of town I was trying to get as many of them as I could and so when Yen uh, finally brought that back around. I was very, very happy. Yeah. Um, I remember I didn't go looking for the CMX volume since my library system actually had the full collection. Mm-hmm. But I think some people were like, oh, I'm glad I can finally get them. Now the end's putting out. So people being like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to double dip. Oh, they're going to be omnibus hardcovers with an expanded trim size. Okay, yeah. Double dip. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Yeah. I think James was also hungry because he had to like track down all the volumes. And he's like, after all this work. There's a particular one. I can. I think it might be volume eight. That was just like so difficult to. Tra- it was so difficult to track down. I searched for that book for like years, <laughs> and finally it popped up on Amazon for like a reasonable price, and I bought it. Not long after that, you know, Yen was like, "Oh, we're gonna release it again." I'm like, man, I spent years <laughs> looking for this book, but that's, it's that's time to offload your volumes <laughs> on eBay really fast before mm-hmm. the price drops again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's just part of being a manga fan, really. So it happened. True. It's funny, as I remember, I think Yen licensed A Bride Story, her current series, before they licensed Rescued Emma. And mm-hmm. A Bride Story is also in hardcover um, editions of the larger trim size, not omnibuses, just single volumes. Yep. And I seem to recall when they did that, that it was really unusual to put out manga in hardcover for A Bride Story. But it's become more common now. Like, you still don't get it for every series, not even close. But now it doesn't seem quite as special. It's just more of a added bonus for fans when they get a chance to own a series in hardcover, which will last longer than a paperback, you know, with the spines and everything. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I remember when A Broad Story first came out that that was still like, oh, these books must be really nice if they're a hardcover. And uh, there's another uh, book of, like, short stories that they put out uh, of Caro Morris. I forget the name of it now. It's, like, on the tip of my tongue. And that's also a hardcover. So I guess once they got started uh, with hardcover for her, they just kind of kept it going. I think it's called Anything and Something. Uh-huh. I'm at my bookshelf. It is. It is. Yeah, that's a good little batch of uh, uh, stories, too. Also with more uh, voluptuous women. That seems to be a theme of her. There's a bunny girl on the spine, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. These books are very nice. They have uh, a reversible dust cover on them, so I, I believe the reverse of it would be the what, what is the second volume's cover. 
they're they're seriously reversible. Like yeah. really, <laughs> like yeah. I've had them for a long time. <laughs> they're all reversible. Yeah. Really? So wow. Okay. <laughs> After this podcast ends, April can be found in her book like bookshelves, flipping around all the book covers just to check. I did not know that. Well, they're reversible, everybody. You learn something new. <laughs> like, you take nothing else away from the podcast. But no, I didn't know if we sort of had um, any final thoughts about Emma, just to sort of uh, wrap up this portion. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite historical romance manga, and also possibly historical manga in general. Since there's a lot of series, like I mentioned Black Butler earlier, which are barely historical. They're more fantasy than anything else. And sometimes you want just a good, solid historical read. And this is a really great series for that. Yeah, it feels like it just drops you right in that time period in England. Um, You get to escape in that world for the confines of its pages. I'm excited to read more. Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of my favorites, so I'm very biased. It has to be one of my top five, maybe top three. Um, and Corey and I talked a little bit about it um, at ASIN this year, so um, I, I'm always going to have um, I'm always going to have a recommendation for this series. And with the new um, omnibus, it's a little bit easier to pick up than it was a few years <laughs> ago. So. Yep. Uh, well, thank you, Yen Press. Very much. <laughs> Uh, let's take a short break, and we will be back talking about Horimiya. We're back. We're here to talk about Horimiya. Uh, I've already forgotten who it is by. You looked this up earlier. Yep. Actually, you looked this up earlier. <laughs> Written by Hiro um, and illustrated by Daisuke Hagiwara. Uh, as Helen pointed out, it was originally a webcomic. Yeah, I think it's Hori San and Miyamura Kun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Written, uh, presumably written and drawn by Hiro, and then it was mm-hmm. picked up by Square Enix, and uh, they shortened the title just to Horimiya, which is the shortened version of the thing that they said. Um, but Helen, would you like to break down Horimiya for us? Square Enix title, that means this is also a seinen. Huh. Anyway, so uh, I've never read the original webcomic since it hasn't been published in English, uh, but Horimiya is the story of two kids who are both in the same class in high school, and Hori, our female lead, is this very popular, beautiful-looking girl. She has lots of friends, but she never hangs out with them after school because she feels like she's got kind of a shameful secret. Her parents just work a lot, so she's the one picking up her brother from elementary school, going grocery shopping, doing the chores, and she feels just very unglamorous doing all these things. She doesn't really want her classmates finding out about it. Not necessarily because they'd be mean, but, you know, when you're in high school, you have even more self-image issues than you do once you get older. And so there's one day... She's just cleaning at home, and her brothers come home. He got startled by a dog, so he scraped his knee, and the kid who was nearby walked him home. And Hori realizes to her horror that this kid who walked her brother home is actually another kid in her class, Miyamura. But he's totally unrecognizable. He's normally like this very 
quiet, almost creepy looking character. Like their classmates are all completely convinced that he must be some hardcore otaku because he's got the long hair, he's got the glasses, he kind of comes over our seat. And he's just, and when he walks her brother home, he's dressed in these kind of fashionable punk clothes, actually. He's also got this totally different side to him that their classmates don't know about. And he doesn't threaten her or anything, but the two of them just kind of bond over having these alternate lives outside of school that people don't expect. And the two of them eventually progress to dating, and their classmates eventually find out. And so the story's just cheerfully rolling along with the two of them and their dating escapades and expanding the side cast a little bit into multiple love polyhedrons. Yeah. And then they make friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the friends fall in love with each other, sort of. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hori, not Hori, uh, Miyamura also wears long sleeves all the time to hide all of his tattoos, which is another thing against him. And they're always like, why are you wearing long sleeves? It's like 110 degrees out. He's like, oh, I just <laughs> prefer it like this. And part of the reason his hair is long is because he has tons of piercings up and down his ears. Yep. Uh, the story sort of indicated he might have been doing that as a form of self-harm, but never truly delves into that. But yeah, so he's always terrified whenever a school festival is coming up or they've got swim class. Cause he's like, I can't show off my tattoos. I will get in so much trouble for this. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Didn't he like do all of this himself? I don't think he tattooed himself, because that would be hard. With the piercings, yeah, that's where I was getting the impressions of self-harm, since it sounded like he did it with a safety pin. Which, uh, just don't do that, guys. Don't do that. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, I have to confess, I've gotten a little bored of the series lately, since it's starting to spin its wheels a little bit, since up to the release in English, where he just got through Volume 8, uh, Hori and Miyamura have been together for a while, They've finally had people stop hitting on Hori, who also <laughs> want to date her, basically. Uh, Hori is very attractive to members of both sexes, it turns out. Um, and so the story is just kind of having to look a little elsewhere to find its entertainment. Like, Hori seems to be into BDSM, but doesn't really know it, so there's some kind of awkward scenes with that, and oh, the story gosh. just not being handled well. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I want me and Murray to yell at me, and hit me, and me and Murray's like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> that far. <laughs> I don't know how you have because I'm pretty sure I brought him in some of my reviews and you're the one who edits my reviews. That's, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I um, I think what, so when I read the first volume, and that's been a while ago, I've read a few more now, but at least in the first volume, I think one of the things that really appealed to me about it is um, it wasn't sort of like um I saw her in the hallway and I saw him in the hallway and they make me feel weird. And now my heart beats. And what does all this mean? It was more just like sort of two people that sort of started to hang around each other and sort of built an organic relationship. And then they're sort of like, oh, I think I like this person. I sort of appreciated that um, a little bit more than sort of like, oh, my gosh, I'm blushing. And I don't know what this means. And I can't stop thinking about this person. Um, not that that doesn't exist once they start to realize that they like each other, but mm-hmm. I just really like sort of like the small things they did for each other. And they sort of talked and started to open up uh, as they got to know each other, which just felt a little uh, more true to life than some of the other uh, series that I've read. Yeah, they started with a friendship and then Hori's family sort of tried to adopt me and Murrux. They're like, we like this boy a lot. And then they got to dating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is that kind of kindred spirits of them both hiding what they perceive to be 
deep dark secrets, but it's not actually that deep or dark. Uh, it's like Carter Kano light, sort of. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely what it reminded me. Uh, now that you now that you say that, but then I also, um, I guess because they at least in the first few films they do so many different things. There's so many different small scenarios because I think this was was it originally like a a four panel series because I can kind of like see where that's coming I think from. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can kind of see where that's coming from. Just that there's like the the chapter where he gets sick. Um, I think there's an overnight trip chapter, and I can see where like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And remember, he's too embarrassed to go <laughs> go into communal bathing with the other guys. So he just <laughs> borrow Hori's bathroom and take a shower. I don't know how he's avoided that for this long. Like supposedly he's covered in tattoos and piercing it's like all it takes is him growing his hair out and wearing long sleeves like he's got to get hot at some point i can't imagine he's gone that many years oh no you know i just nobody knows (laughs) and you have to remember a lot of buildings in japan don't have um central ac Mm -hmm. just because of the way they're constructed a lot of them don't have central heating or ac so he must be really hot all the time it seems a little miserable he might be comfortable in the winter though No, uh, it is uh, very hot to have long hair. For the for any guy listening that never had long hair, it's sometimes miserable. Yeah, yeah no I'm, arguments there. This why yeah. I cut my hair every summer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it can get very very hot to have long hair. I agree. So I can't imagine him doing that every day, and then the long sleeves and things like that. So although uh, maybe it's just uh, I'm from a different perspective, and I'm not a Japanese kid, but I was sort of like, he doesn't really seem like he's that weird. You know, his hair's a little long, but he's not like an extreme weird person. But I think that's just a, just me coming at it from a totally different perspective. I'm like, what's, what's weird about him? So I don't know. I don't know. And it seems like Kimura was bullied or ostracized a little bit in middle school, at least. So I think part of it is that the way he withdraws into himself makes himself seem very antisocial. He's just, Mm expecting to get hurt so often that he's not taking any chances and we can all read vibes we can all read when someone just seems to be quiet versus when someone seems to be saying leave me alone and you know when you're in high school you're so sensitive to these things you know when you're younger you're still trying to figure out yourself and how to react to the world so you tend to be extra cautious in some ways so i think that's what's going on and after Miyamura cuts his hair and proves to the world how cute he is, then all their classmates are like, oh, hey, who is this? Hori, <laughs> is this your boyfriend, or can I hit on him? No. Hori uh, gets jealous of of everyone uh, suddenly liking Miyamura. She was on the other side. Yeah, Hori's ice queen sides shows up. Hori's <laughs> uh, uh, dad is, like, super weird, though. He's the only <laughs> character that, like, I'm entertained by him, but I have no idea what's going to happen or whether I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, he's weird. What what volume does he pop up in? Because he doesn't sound very familiar to me either. Uh, I'm going to totally put you on the spot. <laughs> it's pretty early on. I want to say he starts showing up around volume three or so. Really? Oh, God, I must just like totally be blank. And I know I've read that volume. Yeah, I think he's on the call, call, um, cover of volume four, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess volume five. I have no idea. <laughs> Somewhere in that general vicinity, Hori's dad shows up and just turns out to be a weirdo. Yeah. What, what's particularly strange about him? I, there's definitely a gag where he drags Miyamura into having 
a communal bath, and then you could just hear through the door something yelling about him seeing the Emperor's tattoos for one thing. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, he's kind of a slacker, we get the impression. You kind of get the impression he and Hori's mom aren't on very good terms, and he doesn't come home <laughs> no. very often. Yep. And Hori's definitely Hori's definitely annoyed that her father is kind of encouraging her younger brother. So does dad eating habits like dad. No, we're putting carrots in this. I don't care if you guys don't like carrots. We're going to eat the carrots. <laughs> but he really wants Miyamura as a son-in-law. He really yeah, does. He's really pushing <laughs> that car. <laughs> a little early. <laughs> Doesn't he like sort of encourage sleeping together? In what way? Because yes, they do sleep together in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he expecting more. <laughs> It's so funny, because the manga actually does like a fade to black, and you go, whoa, this is not the pure romance I thought it was. This is a real romance. Um, I agree with the uh, the wheel spinning from like 10 minutes ago, though. Uh, I think uh, it has 10, 10 volumes in Japanese right now, which is how many volumes the original webcomic had, so... I assume it's wrapping up soon, or maybe it's popular enough that they're just going to keep it going, and then the wheels are going to turn for even longer. <laughs> yeah, that's what I fear. Yeah. I do like my series to have concrete endings, and I don't think the characters have even moved up a grade. Since a lot of oh, times wow. with high school romances, you'll see them end when the characters graduate high school. It's kind of a natural stopping point. But I'm not sure we're going to get that here. Uh, I mean, something's going to happen, probably. <laughs> You kind of wonder how they're going to sustain that for that long, especially um, if they haven't moved up a grade yet. That's a little surprising. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm a little earlier in, and uh, it's still compelling there in the beginning. But, yeah, um, yeah, you do kind of wonder how that's going to go, especially if they've gotten together and uh, slept together and what have you. It's sort of like, well, <laughs> where do we go from here? I think that's where you sort of pull in the side characters, and I know Helen said that even some of that is kind of wheel-spinning, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a couple of couples you can see are probably gonna happen, but just nobody's making a move. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of couples who are already together. That's nice. Uh, they had a they- couple chapters recently with Hori's best friend, I think, that were fairly interesting, because it was dealing with, like, her insecurities, but I think she was also pushing boundaries in terms of their friendship. Oh, yeah, they had, a, they had a fake boyfriend episode, yeah. yeah. He's her fake boyfriend, but maybe he'll turn into a real boyfriend. Nope, not in this chapter. <laughs> nope. And we also have Girl from the Student Council pining after him, but she's definitely too shy to make move there, so we know that's not going to happen. I have to admit, this is part of the reason why I like having series as Emma as well, since we've all seen these. It's not a shoujo romance, but it does play out a lot like a shoujo romance. So we've all seen these stories before, so we can be kind of jaded in predicting what's going to happen next with fairly good accuracy. So that's why I really like having a variety of romances available for me to read. They help balance me out when I'm getting too jaded about one or the other. <laughs> Look, they're either going to get together and live happily ever after, or they're going to accidentally have a child and live happily ever after. It's going to be Tsukigakure, and I'll just pull my eyes out. <laughs> Sukigakure was good, except they were middle schoolers, Corey, you forget. It's true. I'm so glad we bullied Inka into watching that. <laughs> it was such a good idea. <laughs> it was such a good idea to bully our friends into watching that. <laughs> well, alright, have we exhausted Horimiya discussion? I think so. Any oh. uh, <laughs> closing thoughts on Horimiya? 
Um, I do enjoy it, but I think I'll enjoy it a little better once I know the end is in sight mm-hmm. and that it's not just going to continue for another 20 volumes, God forbid, or something like that. No, not 20. <laughs> I don't, I don't, ugh, 20 would be entirely too long for a lot of series. So, mm-hmm. um, I just think it's cute. I thought it was just a breath of fresh air in terms of like what I mentioned before, that they kind of build up an organic friendship that sort of, uh, become something more. I appreciated about it. About I appreciated that about it. I know um, when I read the first volume, I'm like, as soon as I finished, I'm like, oh, I've got to get the next one. This is just, I just really enjoyed it, and I sort of felt like I had, I wasn't as into romance series anymore. But this one I thought was pretty cute. So, mm-hmm. it's definitely cute. Mm-hmm. Dana and I always read like a really solid uh, romance series. Like we read My Little Monster and. Or Mia, my love story, and uh, this is kind of like our fluff between, uh, you know, My Hero Academia or something a little more serious. Mm. Fluff is a good word for this series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's good fluff. Sometimes there's bad fluff, and I'm like, why did I waste time reading this? But this is this is good fluff. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yep. Well, um, let's close this thing out. Where can we find everybody on the internet, Helen? You can find me in entirely too many places. Uh, you can find me yelling about anime and the state of the world at Wandering Dreamer on Twitter. You can find me doing a couple of reviews on my own website, Narrative Investigations. It's starting to get up and rolling again. I also do manga reviews weekly over on the Organization for Antisocial Geniuses. And I'm also co-host of the OASG podcast over there. And our latest episode, Justin coolly cut me off as I was reading these really great titles for Christian light novel series. They were so entertaining. You don't understand. They were the ones in like in another world of my Bible. They were great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's it for the moment. I think that's everywhere you can find me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter also sometimes yelling about the state of the world at Manji Um You can also find me editing um, Helen's reviews. Um, other than that, I'm sort of floating around on the internet, and of course, you can hear me here. She's taught me the importance of semicolons. <laughs> I like semicolons a lot. Semicolons are They're very useful. M dashes are also cool. Mm, yes, they are. Anyway, it's also very nerdy. Uh, well you can find me at impassionate k Uh, this podcast is on twitter x manga in your ears Uh, it's spelled how it sounds I don't have to spell that one Uh, (laughs) I also do another sports anime podcast called taiku podcast that one I do have to spell t-a-i-i-k-u that's on twitter and it's website it's website and this podcast website is at taikupodcast.com thank you all for Talking about Emma and Horimiya. It's fun. I always love telling more people to read more manga. <laughs> Until next time, where we tell other people, or where we tell the same people to read more manga. <laughs> <laughs>